If you can make your way back to your seats, we're going to begin, and uh, if you can open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 7, we're going to read from Deuteronomy 7 this morning, and um, I want to wish you all a happy Thanksgiving for this upcoming week. We have a lot to be thankful for, church, don't we? A lot to be thankful for. Uh, John and I are both kind of under the weather a little bit, and uh, he... he I said, oh, John, we're a mess this morning. And he, did, and he says, you know what? But we're a treasured mess. <laughs> and so uh, that's kind of one of the wonderful phrases that we're going to look at this morning in Deuteronomy chapter 7. And I'm excited to uh, look at that together with you. So uh, it's good to be a treasured mess <laughs> this morning. God's been so good to us. And we do have so much to be thankful for, church. And the the chief amongst those things is that God has given us his own son. And so let us, let us look at Deuteronomy chapter 7. We're going to um, read uh, verses 6 through 8 to begin, and then we'll get started. We're going to be in Deuteronomy moving around. So if you could just keep your Bibles open or your phones open as we kind of roll through, that would be great. So let's look at Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 through 8. For you are a people... Holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. Isn't that beautiful? And is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. The, the title of the message this morning is A Holy People. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you so much that you have called us to yourself, those in this room who have repented of their sins and trusted in you. Lord, are your children. And we are so thankful, God, those of us who were born again in this room, to be chosen by you. Lord, would you shine powerfully upon your word this morning. And Holy Spirit, would you illuminate the word of God into our hearts and apply it into our hearts so that we would be greatly blessed in our relationship with you this morning. We, we love you and we're so thankful for all that you've done for us. We do indeed, God, have so much to be thankful for because of you and all that you've done. We, we love you and we pray you'd be glorified through the preaching of your word here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it, it's about 1406 B.C. Moses is writing the book of Deuteronomy shortly before his death. He's writing a, a retelling of the law, Deuteronomy meaning second law. It's a repeating and a recounting of the law that had been given to the first generation in the wilderness. Now the second generation is on the verge of going into the promised land. And Moses is, is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing down a retelling of the law of God. And one of the things we're going to see, this, this sermon here is going to cover uh, the, the section. We looked at 3 through 11 last week. This is going to cover Deuteronomy 12 through 26. Um, but Deuteronomy 7 uh, really embodies uh, what we're looking at in, in 12 through 26, which kind of gets into uh, the call to holiness that should mark uh, the children of God. Joel did a great job this morning during the call to worship talking about that our call as believers, as we believe in Christ, is also to follow Christ in obedience. And so we're going to be looking at that from God's Word here in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy. We're going to be seeing Christ in all of Scripture uh, as we look at Deuteronomy, uh, really, chapter 7 through 26. So we've got some ground to cover, but I'm really looking forward to uh, getting into this with you. Um, th- this, this calling here, for you are a people, verse 6, holy to the Lord your God. We're called out, we're called out to be separate from all the other nations of the earth. And uh, we see here that we're called to be a holy people. It reminds me um, of Ephesians 1. Verse 4, where in the book of Ephesians, which we're studying in our men's Bible study, and ladies, by the way, uh, there's a women's Bible study this upcoming week as well. That 
that's also one of the announcements for this coming week. That'll be uh, this coming Tuesday, 10 a.m. and 7 p.m. at the church house. And the ladies are studying Colossians. But here in Ephesians 1, 4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. He chose us in him, meaning in Christ, before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. And so the first point this morning we're going to look at is chosen by grace. Chosen by grace. Um, in relation to uh, this called nature of the Lord where he chooses us in Christ from before the foundation of the world, um, we, don't, we see that that's not just a New Testament teaching, the teaching on God's sovereignty and election and choosing his people uh, by his amazing grace is something that's taught here in the Old Testament. You see that we are called by grace here in Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 through 8. You see in verse 7 there, it says, it was not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord, than the other nations, but the Lord set his love on you and chose you for you were the fewest of all peoples. And so we're not to look to our own strength, but we're actually to look at our weakness as the people of God and see that God chose us not because we were mighty or great, but because we were the fewest. And then in verse 8 it says, but it is because the Lord loves you. So from before the foundation of the world, before you were ever even born, God knew you, beloved, and loved you even before foundations of this world. This is meant to help us to understand, people of God, how anchored deep we are in the steadfast love of the Lord, as, as John read from the ministry mic this morning so well. Um, the Lord is also, He loves us, and He's also, verse 8, keeping the oath. So He made promises to His people, and He always stands by his promises. We are chosen by grace. This theme picks up, and I want you to look at, if you look at uh, chapter 8, verse 17, it actually says in 8, verse 17, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. This is talking here now about the provision that we have as people, God providing for us uh, financially and, and giving us everything that we need. It, it's not just in relation to our salvation, but it's also in relation to just the provision that God gives to us in our lives. The perspective that we were we are meant to have is that God has been gracious to me. God has been gracious to me as people. So it actually says, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me the salvation I've got and the wealth that I have. No, it actually says, beware lest you say in your heart. These aren't things we ever just kind of say out loud typically because we would obviously know we're boasting. But it's just in our heart, in the secret place of the heart, the Lord is jealous that we say it's God's power and it's God's choice of me. That is why I'm here this morning worshiping in church today. Um, and it doesn't just stop there. This is the theme that continues on throughout the early part of Deuteronomy. If you look at Deuteronomy 9, 4 through 7 with me, you'll see the Word of God where it says this, Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, talking about the other nations, it is because of my righteousness. And now it's not just the size of the nation. It's actually talking about saying in your heart, it's because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land, whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you, that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And then in verse 6 it says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess. 
because of your righteousness. It's just repeated and repeated again, brothers and sisters. And then look what it says about us as God's people. For you are a stubborn people. I can climb into that. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we're meant to have a correct perspective of ourselves and not rewrite history as we look back on our salvation or on all the good things God's provided. We're meant to look back and say, you know what, my story, what I've contributed to my salvation, the only thing I've contributed to my salvation is the sin which God has so graciously forgiven me of. If that's our attitude and our perspective, brothers and sisters, we will have a softness and a tenderness of heart and a gratitude and a thankfulness this Thanksgiving week because we will know that where we deserve to be is in hell. Where we are is on our way to heaven because of what the Lord has done. This theme of being chosen by grace is picked up throughout the the, the whole Bible, but then you see it in 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31. I want to highlight this scripture for us in relation to Deuteronomy 7, 8, and 9 that we just hit. Listen to this carefully. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. And here's the reason God did all this. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. This matters to God. And it matters not just in the New Testament. It matters as as we look at the story of the people of Israel. He's emphasizing it again and again here in Deuteronomy. Verse 30, and because of Him, it's because of Him Him that you are in Christ Jesus. The reason you're saved here this morning and in Christ Jesus, brothers and sisters, the reason I am, it's because of Him. As Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, for it's by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not by works. Why? So that no one may boast before Him. And and in this passage here, this beautiful passage in 1 Corinthians 1, We look at, because of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Oh, beloved friends, let us boast. Let us boast loudly, but let it just never be in ourselves. Let us boast in the cross of Christ as Galatians says, let us boast in the Lord loudly as 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31 says, I love the scripture in Jeremiah, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises justice and righteousness on the earth, for it's in these that I delight. Oh, Let us beware lest we ever say in our heart, Christ Community Church, it's because I'm a little bit more righteous than the next person that I'm here in church this morning. I'm a little bit better. A little bit stronger. And I find that it's something that we must continually tend to in our hearts. This is meant to be humbling to us. It's meant to cause us to boast only in the Lord. And when we look at our salvation, we give all the glory of it to God alone, brothers and sisters. Amen? Let us do that for His glory. Let's look at point two. Chosen to be holy. Chosen to be holy. And here I want to anchor in. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 10, we're going to look at verses 12 through 16 here because this is a great section here of Scripture that anchors us into this point of chosen to be holy. Let's read God's Word together. (coughs) And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today for your good. 
Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens and the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your forefathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples. That ought to blow us away. You above all peoples as you are this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. So there's a call here to holiness, to, to fear the Lord your God, to, to walk in all of His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, which, which anchors in on what we looked at last week in Deuteronomy 6 in the Shema, that we're called to listen to the Lord and to love Him with all our heart, soul, and might, and to keep the commandments of the Lord. Look at this phrase in verse 13 in, in, in chapter 10, which I am commanding you today, this is vital, for your good children of God for your good we are chosen to be holy we are chosen by grace and we are chosen in Christ from before the foundation of the world to be holy to be holy and blameless in his sight to be holy and blameless before him we're chosen by grace to be holy in the Lord's sight we're not chosen by grace to just then go and live how we want to live. We're called to be holy. We're chosen in Christ from before the foundation of the world that we might be holy and blameless in His sight. Christians are called to live holy lives. And we must take that greatly to heart. Verse 16 there in chapter 10, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. We're called to soften our hearts, brothers and sisters, to, to repent of the stubbornness of our past, but also to repent even right now over the stubborn clinging to sin that can still reside in our hearts as Joel admonished us in the call to worship this morning. We're called to keep God's commands, to hold fast to God's statutes. And as we embrace this call to holiness. I, I want to encourage us because I think as we look at Deuteronomy, the language you see again is one of when, when, when obedience is called for, the Lord says love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. I love that the, the, the first commandment and the second is to love God and to love your neighbor and I think when we think about obedience, often the first thing we think of is a duty to embrace. Rather than first thinking of obedience unto our God as a beauty to be admired, a beauty to be loved, a beauty to be cherished, something that's so desirable that you just long to do it. I was thinking about this just in worship. It wasn't part of my notes. But I was thinking, you don't have to tell the sports fans of their favorite football team today who have tickets to either the 1 o'clock, 4.30 or 8.30 game today. You don't have to tell those fans, listen, now you need to be there at 1 o'clock. you got to get there early for parking and you got to show up. And when you get there, listen, like really get excited because this is your team and you, you really should be fervent in, in, in what you do here today and be, be devoted, be committed. You don't have to talk like that. To fans, they show up in love. That's how it should be in the church. We show up not thinking of obedience as some dragon that we need to slay, but, but looking at obedience as just the joy of our lives. Because we are fans of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords so much so that we're the first ones there, last ones to leave. And we're the crazy fans with the face paint on at church. Oh, church, let us love the Lord Jesus in that kind of way. God gives us a beauty to delight in, in relation to obedience. Let us not simply think of a duty that needs to be embraced. Yes, we are called to be good soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ, as 2 Timothy 2 admonishes us. And there is language of duty in Scripture. And we want to embrace duty, but... If when you think of obedience, you only think of duty to be endured. I believe the Lord wants to lovingly expand your horizon this morning and to see that obedience to our God is that it, it ought to be the great joy and passion and pursuit 
of our everyday lives. Embrace the beauty to love of Christ and the beauty of Christ to adore Him and to be consumed with Him, brothers and sisters, and let us embrace this together. Obedience to the law of God was never meant to be about legalism or trying to earn God's favor. It's always about loving God and listening to God and worshiping Him for the beautiful God and Savior that He is. So obedience, well, it's it's the inevitable outflow of a child of God in love with Jesus. You don't have to admonish and threaten. It's just what a child of God is, is inclined to do. And yes, we still stumble and we still struggle with remaining indwelling sin. And we've got a God who in steadfast love is devoted to us and has chosen us and is not ever going to give up on us And so whenever we see the remaining stubbornness, let us repent of that. Let us run to our Father and say, you are more beautiful, Father. Let us run to our Savior and say, you are more beautiful, Jesus. Let us run to the Holy Spirit rather than grieving Him and say, Spirit, you are the delight of my soul. And I love you. God gives us a beauty to adore. Not simply a duty to endure. Let us embrace that, brothers and sisters. <clears throat> I, uh, thinking of this, obedience to God is, it ought to be how a person in love longs to please the person that they love and delights to learn what pleases them so they can carry it out. Obedience to God is, when done in a way that pleases God, is more like a a child who loves their mother and their father and trusts them completely and longs to obey what their mother and father commands them to do because they trust their mother and father, that they're for their good. That, that's the language you see of, of Scripture in relation to obedience. So think of obedience not as much as a duty to be endured, but as a beauty to be adored. God has given us a beauty, namely Himself, to be adored and cherished and feared, and served, and loved, and He wants His people to love and cherish Him. For all that He commands is for our good. It's a little personal story here. It just happened recently. One of my kids recently disobeyed, and so Shannon and I uh, disciplined um, her by taking away video game privileges for the next day. Um, The next day, uh, she was at a friend's house all day, and the rest of the kids in the house were playing video games all day. And I heard from a couple of my other kids that my daughter that was being disciplined didn't play because she remembered what her mom and dad said the night before to her about not playing video games the next day. And when I heard that she refrained while the others enjoyed, It melted my heart as her father because of her faithfulness to carry out what her mother and I said, even when she was away from our house where the discipline was intended. As her father, I I couldn't help but feel the love that she has for God and the love she has for me and her mom and the trust also that she has in us. It's sobering. It affected me that she would obey our will even when out of our sight. A true child of God that trusts their heavenly Father, obeys God and pleases Him, not just when they're in sight of God's people, but also in private, in their thought life. They, they carry a passion for holiness, not because they're, they're, they're slavishly seeking to come under some duty to be endured, but because they love the Lord and they love His beauty and they know that there's nothing else more that matters. And they make it their aim to please Christ 24-7, 365. They're not flipping on uh, obedience to God like an on and off light switch in their life, showing up for church, hitting on the God switch, showing, walking away from church, hitting off the God switch. They're not compartmentalizing their life like that. They, they're like a man and a woman in love. That's what I want to be, don't you? I don't want to be that way more and more and more. Uh, a few uh, details in relation to just the law of God here in Deuteronomy is just fascinating and beautiful. You'll see the beauty of God as we, we dip into this. Um, I want to kind of 
fly through here 12 through 26 and just hit some sweet details in the commands. Because our Bible reading plan right now, we're actually in 12. We just moved into 13 today. We're going to be hitting these. And I want to just give you an exciting vision about in relation to this. In 12, God commands for Israel's worship to be about one temple worshiping the one true God in one temple. God calls us to come together to worship the Lord, not to worship the Lord just as individuals or in isolation from one another, but to come together and assemble to worship the God and offer sacrifices in the public assembly and in the household of God. In chapter 13, if you flip in your Bibles with me, um, we're admonished not to let anyone, don't let anyone, false prophets, and false teachers, and don't let anyone, not even family members, don't even let family members turn you away from following God and His Word. And by implication of that, the Gospel as well. There's a command there to make sure that your allegiance to the Lord is even greater than your love and your allegiance to and your devotion to your family God is meant to be number one above everything else in our hearts. And we see that in Deuteronomy 13. In Deuteronomy 14, we see where there's a description of clean and unclean foods. Now, here, here it's an important detail. There's a lot to learn when you look at clean and unclean foods. But this is where you, you interpret the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. And in Mark chapter 7, Jesus declares all foods clean. And so you interpret the Old Testament in light of the new. And when Jesus declared all foods clean, you can derive much good by reading Deuteronomy 14 and seeing the laws that applied to Israel during this time as they were on the verge of entering into the promised land and yet not stumble over thinking, do I need to abide by this now? No, because the New Testament gives you further light to help you to understand how to apply specifically this, these commands in our lives now, today. Um, 14 goes on to just add this beautiful detail. If you look at verse 21, you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. You just think, okay, why is that there in the Bible? But you just look at it. There's just a, a humaneness to animals. There's a humility about life and death, and provision from God that's meant to mark our lives. It's not simply about just that one command, but the principle of that command flows into our lives as the people of God, even to this very moment. And I just love little details like that that we can hone in and see just just diamonds of the beauty of God's character and His will. Um, There's a description at the end of 14 on tithing and caring for the poor at that time, but also Jesus commends the practice of tithing in Matthew 23, 23. And so we should still honor that and give to the Lord generously, not under law, but under grace. But we still passionately obey the Lord. And we're not under compulsion, but as 1 Corinthians 9 says, God loves a cheerful giver. And so let us give, let us give generously, but let us give cheerfully as the Lord commands us. Chapter 15 talks about caring for the poor well. It also talks about offering up offerings and sacrifices to to the Lord that are blemish-free. Well, here's where whenever you see a description of the need for a blemish-free sacrifice, like in Deuteronomy 15, it's meant to call to mind and point you to that there is a need for a blemish-free sacrifice to be offered up for sin. And this ultimately pointed the people of Israel to and prepared them for the coming suffering servant, the Messiah, the promised one from Genesis 3, who would come and die on the cross for their sins. So there's sightings of Christ, just even in the details of the law in Deuteronomy. I love that. Deuteronomy is actually quoted by Jesus more than any other Old Testament book. And so this book is very important in relation to the New Testament and Jesus teaching the Word of God and the Gospel to the people. Um, You see great care for the poor. You see um, there's a a tithe that's given uh, every three years in order to help care for the poor. 
as you transition into chapter 16, you see a retelling of the feasts that Israel was to keep. Now, what we know in the New Testament is that the feasts were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But they point, the feasts point to the beauty of Christ as we read about them in detail. And they also have value as we read about them in the Old Testament because they help us to see the beauty of the Gospel even in the Old Testament. And the need for ourselves to constantly remind ourselves that we have been redeemed out of the house of slavery. Um, And not slavery to Egypt in our case, but slavery to sin and death and Satan. The Lord Jesus Christ when He died on the cross. And that's where we have the ordinance of the Lord's Supper that the Lord said, do this in remembrance of Me. We keep the Lord's Supper to remember the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord. And, And you see just this wonderful transition take place from Old Covenant to New. And yet the feast still, even though they're fulfilled, they speak to us of the Gospel and they can shine details and light on the preciousness of Christ's sacrifice that we can love. And so enjoy reading your Old Testament, beloved. And dig in because there's so much that God wants to unearth of treasure for you and I to enjoy. As we go further into 17, you see in Deuteronomy 17 that there's a command even when Israel in the future chooses a king. There's details about the king that should be chosen. And there's also a command given to future kings that they are to make a copy of the law for themselves. um, That they might fear God. They're also not to keep a lot of horses. They're not to put their trust in horses, which, which later on you'll see Solomon built whole cities for his horses. And so there, there's just this layout here of the king of Israel isn't meant to be like the other nations. He's meant to be holy. He's not to put his trust in, 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 in horses. He's put his trust in the Lord and lead the people to put their trust in the Lord. And you also see here that Israel's kings are meant to be different and that they are not to be, meant to be immoral and we see examples bad examples of that but also good examples of that in relation to David but then we see the perfect example of the king of Israel and the king of kings Jesus Christ who perfectly fulfilled the law and didn't just write a copy of it out but fulfilled it in our place and died on the cross and so when you look at the description of kings that will come into the future here we also see a sighting of Christ in relation to the plan and God's plan for his people to come. Uh, brothers and sisters, in, in chapter 18, there's a great sighting of Christ in 18. As you look at verse 15, if you look there with me, it says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses says, from among you, from your brothers. And it is to him that you shall listen. And Jesus is spoken of as the prophet, priest, and king. He's not just king. Um, and he's not just prophet, but he's also prophet, priest, and king. He's not just priest, and he's not just king. He's also the prophet who prophesied numerous times that he was going to die on the cross, and then on the third day, he was going to be raised up. And the prophet here is exhorted, how will you know that this prophet's from the Lord? Well, what he says comes to pass. And Jesus was the good prophet who everything that he spoke not only to his own suffering and death and resurrection, but also in the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, which was also prophesied about by Jesus. It all came to pass exactly like he said, listen to him. Just like the father coming down to Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration and saying to Peter, James, and John, this is my son, listen to him. What this is meant to show you is that Jesus is the prophet like Moses that God was going to raise up from among them. He will be one of the people of Israel. And oh, the story here and the sighting of Christ that you see in Deuteronomy 18 just just really blows my mind and causes my heart to delight. You go into 19 through 26, brothers and sisters, and there starts to be civil laws and social justice laws that really um, are, are just beautiful in displaying God's character as well. In verse 18, there's also a description don't ever go to or listen to fortune tellers. Um, that there's, there's applicability 
of these commands to us, even to this day. We're not meant to look like the world does to those kinds of things and to to the guidance from demons. We're meant to listen to the word of God and to the prophets of God who speak the word of God. And so this has tremendous contemporary value, and I'll get into that more as we as we head further on. In chapter 19, it, it's just a great description where it talks about don't move your neighbor's landmark. Love for your neighbor. It's just good. It's just beautiful. And, and you see, there's kindness and considerateness for others. There's a respecting of the aged and those who have set boundary markers on their property lines, maybe even a generation from before, and we're called to respect that and honor that. At the end of 19, you see that there's a call for two to three witnesses to establish a matter for justice. And that's picked up again in the New Testament and 1 Timothy 5 in relation to charges that are brought against an elder. They're, they're not even to be entertained unless they're established by two or three witnesses. But you see Old Testament and New, these things are picked up. And there's also punishment for those who make false accusations or bear false witness. They're to be punished. So we're called to guard the good name of our neighbor. And justice is to be carried out in a specific way after due process is to be carried out. All of that there in Deuteronomy chapter 19. In Deuteronomy 20, there's warfare laws where young men are looked out for. And I wish, I, I wish we could have this relevant today, where young men who are newly married are able to step back and just enjoy the wife of their youth for a year. Um, I look back on that now, right? I mean, my first year of marriage was, uh, me, my first year of marriage with Shannon was our first year of ministry together, and we hit the ground running. I, I look back, I would love to have had a full year just to enjoy hanging out with my sweetie. Uh, but you know what? This looks shows that God looked out for the young men, it, and not just for the young men, older men who planted a vineyard. There's a description here in chapter 20, men who planted a vineyard and haven't yet enjoyed it, keep those guys back from war so that they can enjoy their vineyard for a little bit. That's just awesome. It's different from the other nations. It's, it's where God's people are distinct, and, and there's a humaneness and a love for your fellow men and your neighbor that, shines out here uh young men who had a faint heart and were losing courage and didn't want to go on the battlefield they were they were to stay back so that they didn't bring the other fighting men down in the battle women were to be treated humanely when captured and this is you want you need to look at these old testament laws and you don't compare them to just our laws today you compare them to the laws of the ancient near east back in this time the canaanites were brutal They were brutal to men, women, and children. But here you have God just displaying the beauty of His character that that a woman who is part of a conquered land that a man ends up taking as his wife, she's she's given a month to grieve the loss of her family that she just lost. And, And a man was meant to guide and love her tenderly and not treat her the way the other nations would treat her. Israel was to be distinct, to be a holy people. And you see the beauty of God and the in in the loving and humane treatment of the way women and children are cared for. At the end of 20, there's just this great, I was looking at this, I was just marveling. It's talking about when you lay siege to a city, don't don't cut down certain trees. God cares about people. He cares about trees. He cares about the environment. and, And I'm just, I'm marveling at, he says you can cut these ones down so you can build a siege engine to lay siege to a city, but don't cut these ones down. He's giving instruction. And again, the people of God are distinct. Chapter 21, you're going to see another sighting of Christ in there in relation to the very end. Look at it with me. In 21, verse 22, even look at the header. A man hanged on a tree is cursed. Look at that. If a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day to remind you of something? For a hanged man is cursed by God. When I know why the Jew had such a hard time looking up and seeing God's son hanging from a tree. It's because someone who was hung on a tree bore a curse. And how could God's own son bear a curse if he is God's son? It was an anomaly. Something that didn't make sense to the Jew. But brothers and sisters, this is where we see God's love and the glory of the gospel. Christ didn't bear his own curse. Christ bore your curse. 
He bore the curse that you and I deserve in hell forever on that cross. He hung on that tree and was forsaken by God for our sins. Right here in Deuteronomy 21, 22 through 23, you get a beautiful sighting of Jesus Christ, seeing Christ in the Old Testament. i got to move fast. 22, we see an example of how relevant and how contemporary the Word of God is, even in the Old Testament. If you look at uh, Deuteronomy 22, verse 5, the Word of God says this, A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. Later on in the chapter, there's laws against sexual immorality. Any sexual relations or activity outside of the covenant of heterosexual marriage is forbidden by God to us. Again, for our good. For our good. Um, We are to walk as the people of God in the fear of God and not according to the customs of the Canaanites whom God has destroyed. Punishment is to come upon those who do evil and who do not repent of their evil. We are admonished again and again in this section in Deuteronomy to purge the evil that is in our midst. And that is a that also is brought back up in 1 Corinthians 5 when there's an individual in the New Covenant Church who is living in unrepentant sexual immorality and the church is doing nothing about it. The church is exhorted to step in and to not allow evil to just exist, but to purge the evil, to go on God's rescue mission and help turn a brother or sister who's wandered back toward the Lord, or else if they won't repent, they're not to be left to think that that behavior is the behavior of a true child of God on their way to heaven. In Deuteronomy 22, in these various laws, we see that God cares about our public lives, but he also cares about our private lives as well. Every single square inch of our existence, every moment of our lives, brothers and sisters, is to be lived unto the Lord and for his glory. We must be distinct and holy and must not compartmentalize our lives into times when we focus on God and at times when we don't. Um, We are always meant to be, quote, on when it comes to holiness and obedience to God in his ways. The people of Israel are meant to be distinct and to reflect the goodness of God and the character of God and his ways and be holy. We're meant to be different from how all the rest of the world lives. Oh, church. In relation to uh, a verse like Deuteronomy 22.5 and its contemporary relevance to our day, I, I just want to just highlight that the word of God is relevant and contemporary. Um, a lot of times there's this idea that, man, what does the Old Testament have to do with my life today? Well, it has a lot to do. If we will look at God's word and see that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work, we'll see that that's not just the New Testament, but the Old as well. And, uh, you know, in relation to sins like the ones mentioned in Deuteronomy 22.5, we must be compassionate towards the sins and the struggles of all men and women. And brothers and sisters, never are we to be self-righteous. However, We are also never to condone sin and act as if it's okay as well. Um, Romans 1, speaking of the tendency to condone, says in verse 32, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. It's not enough for us to say, you know what, I would never do that. And you know what? Live and let live. Everybody else can live the way they want to. I wouldn't do it, but I'm not going to condemn anybody who, who, who was to live the way they want to live. We need to truly love unbelievers by helping them to understand that God is not okay with doing behaviors that he forbids in his word. So we can, we, we are not to ever give approval to what God forbids by our actions and conduct. 
I want to love unbelievers. I want them to feel very comfortable being around me in my presence. But I don't want to act as if specific things that they're living in, lifestyles that they're living in, that they're unrepentant in, I don't want to act or behave in such a way that gives them the impression God is okay with the way you're living. And hell doesn't exist on the other side of this for you. You're going to be accepted by God and I'm going to be accepted by God. So go on living the way you're living. It's, it's all good. We can't live that way. We can't just be silent. We need to truly be compassionate. We need to be truly loving. We also need to be very humble, especially when there's sins people struggle with that we don't struggle with or have never struggled with. We need all of that to flow and we need to distance ourselves and repudiate any tendency in ourselves to be self-righteous because as we looked at in Deuteronomy 7, it was not because of the righteousness. God chose us by His grace and we're here. But by the grace of God, go I. And so we can be compassionate, we can be loving, and we can be humble while at the same time, brothers and sisters, never compromising the Word of God. Never condoning the sins of our times and our culture. Just because a behavior is applauded in our culture does not mean that we should applaud it also. The most loving thing we can do for this world is to hold fast to the Word of God, to obey it ourselves, to apply it first to ourselves. So when we see commands against sexual immorality, we don't think first of the sins of others. We think about the lust that's in our own heart. We repent of the lust that's in our own heart. And then we compassionately look upon the sins of the culture and the world. And we offer the gospel freely and with compassion and no self-righteous judgment, but with an uncompromising devotion to the word of God that will plead for them to help lift them out of the pit and not keep them in it. We want to hold out the word of God lovingly as the light that it is in the darkness. Deuteronomy 22.5 is a beautiful light for the culture. If it's not received as beautiful, that's because of the heart of man. But we are not to shrink back, brothers and sisters, with, with, with cowardice in relation to the needs of the times. We are meant to help people understand the Word of God and to shine the light of Christ out to them and help them to see that Jesus will forgive them if they repent and trust in Him as He has forgiven us. And we need to appeal to the unrepentant to turn to Christ and turn away from their sin in order to be saved. Listen, tolerance for the Christian. Tolerance for the Christian is that we embrace with compassion sinners of all kinds, looking compassionately upon all for their specific, towards their specific ensnaring sins and the specific pit that they have fallen into when it comes to sin. We are tolerant of all people in that way. And we should be the kindest, most compassionate, most loving, face-to-face and on social media, of individuals who are ensnared in a pit and still dead in their sin. We should be the most humble people. Christians should be known for their humility. We should be the most humble people that any unbeliever ever comes across. But, We must never behave towards unbelievers as if their unrepentant sin is okay and that the final destination that they're heading on will be the same one as ours, is that they'll be in heaven as well. We must always seek to preach the gospel to all and urge all to turn away from their sin and believe in Christ that He might rescue them out of the pit. If we as Christians leave unbelievers in the pit that they're in and act as if it's okay with God that they stay in it, then friend, we are not truly loving them. Loving them as a church and a group of Christians that will get down in the muck and we will be reaching our arms down as deep into the pit to pull out anybody who will who will turn toward Christ and we will be there. We will get dirty. We'll roll up our sleeves and we'll get down into it with them to help them. We won't leave them down in there and just stand in judgment as they go off to hell. But no, we will get down and we'll do everything we can to rescue them out of the pit because he who wins souls is wise. We know that judgment's coming and we feel an urgency for their souls as we look at our fellow students, as we look at our fellow co-workers. We want to do everything we can to compassionately rescue them out of the pit and not judge them for being in it. 
And I think we can do this, brothers and sisters. We can do this with tears in our eyes. We can look at them with compassion and kindness, remembering the grace of God in our own lives and remembering the pit that we have been drawn out of. Amen? So let us be the most loving and humble and also the most uncompromising to the Word of God and where the Word of God speaks to the sins of our culture and our times. We hold fast with love, even if it means we've got to go to jail over it. Let us be of that sort. And weeping as they lock us up because of where they're going. Oh, brothers and sisters. 23, if you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes. Verse 24, eat as many as you wish. But don't put any in your bag. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you should not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. This here is the poor having liberty to be able to eat of the crop of the field that they're walking through. But the poor are looking out for the wealthy in this verse. They're not taking advantage of the fact that the crop's standing there by bringing bags in there and stealing. No, but they're allowed to fill their bellies in the kindness of God. Again, the wisdom and the goodness of God Chapter 24, verse 21. This is where the wealthy look out for the poor. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, wealthy, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. When you go to reap and you're getting all your profits and now you're starting to store up your money in the bank. Listen, don't. Go back over it again and again and pull every single grape off for your own profit and benefit. Remember the poor. Remember the orphan. Remember the widow. Care for them. You just see the, the poor looking out for the wealthy in God's commands. The wealthy looking out for the poor in God's commands. I, I've just been marveling at this. Just thinking, God, you're awesome. You're beautiful. I want to obey this. This is so good. Chapter 25, you shall not muzzle an ox when it's treading out the grain. It's not just talking about the animal here, but actually the New, New Testament picks this up. It's about supporting pastoral ministry with your money. And the New Testament takes this Deuteronomy command about oxen and makes it apply to giving so that the work of the gospel might go forth. And here, there's a meaning in this culture. You don't muzzle an ox when it's treading out the grain. But you see the way the New Testament applies this Deuteronomy principle into a broader sector of the Christian life, namely our giving. That's a good, healthy reading of Deuteronomy and an application of it to our lives. So we see the New Testament instructing us on how to healthily interpret the Old Testament and apply it in our lives. When the New Testament affirms it, we carry it on and do it. When Jesus affirms an Old Testament practice, we carry on and do it. When Jesus abolishes an Old Testament law, or changes it, or fulfills it in a certain way that alters it, then it is changed under the New Covenant, and we follow what Jesus or the New Testament teaches. You see this in relation to the laws on divorce and remarriage. When you get into 24 here, uh, Moses permitted allowances for divorce, and, and, and they come and talk to Jesus about it in Matthew 19, and Jesus says it was because of the hardness of your heart that Jesus allowed, uh, that Moses allowed you to do this. But it was not so from the beginning. He takes them back to the law of God from the beginning. And he says, I say to you this. Jesus shines a brighter light and we follow the brighter light. That's a good way to interpret Old Testament law. So don't compare the laws of our, the Old Testament laws to our laws today, but instead compare them to the laws of the ancient Near East and see the kindness of God the Israelites acted differently in a way that shined the light of God's holiness in the midst of the darkness of those times. Just as the law of God, when we obey it now, we, when we're living the word of God, we shine a light brighter than we're even aware of into this dark culture, brothers and sisters. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. So as we read the law, there are some things that are directly binding to us today. And then there's other things that are no longer binding. And, it, and discerning, what is and what is not binding to us, it takes the studying of God's Word. And as the more we study God's Word, God, the Holy Spirit, will give us insight into these things so that we are kept safe and free 
from the error of those who misinterpret and misapply uh, commands in the Old Testament to their lives today. And that can be very uh, prevalent as well. So, brothers and sisters, I want to close with the third and final point. Chosen as his treasured possession. Chosen as his treasured possession. And look at Deuteronomy 26 with me. We're going to look at the last section. And uh, we're just going to look at verse 16. Read with me this section here. This day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and rules. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have declared today that the Lord is your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes and his commandments and his rules and will obey his voice. And the Lord has declared today that you are a people for his treasured possession. There it is again, as he has promised you and that you are to keep all his commandments and that he will set you in praise and in fame and in honor high above all nations that he has made and that you shall be a people holy to the Lord your God as he has promised. Amazing grace, Christ's community is seen in the Old Testament as well as the New. And you see here this description of being God's treasured possession. And I have just a couple things I want to share about treasured possession as the worship team returns quietly. Listen carefully. The Hebrew word for this phrase treasured possession means special treasure. The root of the word Treasured possession. It means to shut up wealth as one would store jewels away for safekeeping. It's sort of this impression of hiding out of public sight that which is most dear to you. It's the the thing that you would put into the safe in your hotel room because you don't want anybody to have easy access because it's so precious to you. When God calls us beloved, or his treasured possession, what it means is that we are holy and set apart for Yahweh. We are his special treasure. We are his jewels for safekeeping. And what this is meant to cause us to remember is how valued we are by God. How loved we are by God. How not just loved, but treasured You are to Him, dear child of God, a special treasure to the Lord. When we sing to Him how deep the Father's love, we we sing in amazement that, that God would give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. Church, amongst all the things that you have, and I have to be thankful to God for this week of Thanksgiving, let us be thankful most. That in His amazing grace, God has made wretches worthy of eternal damnation and hellfire. His treasure. Why us? Brothers and sisters, it's not because of our righteousness. It's not because of our strength. And it's not because we were mightier than the other nations or more righteous than other people or smarter. As Ephesians 1 says again and again, He chose us because He loved us. And He loved us for the praise of His glorious grace. He didn't love us because of anything in us that would cause us to say, I can boast in that. But the only thing we can boast in is that we have a God who has made sinners like us, His treasure, His special treasure, His locket up in the safe. These are my chosen ones. These are my treasured ones. Can you let that land on you, beloved, this morning? How deeply loved you are by God. I I want this to, oh, Holy Spirit, let this land on my brothers and sisters and on myself and on my own heart this morning. How loved, how treasured my brothers and sisters are. Let that sink in as we close in worship at this time. Church, let us stand and let us sing as treasured ones, treasured because of His amazing grace and steadfast love. Let us close and praise and thank our God for loving us like He has. Amen.
the application of that, I believe the Holy Spirit wanted for us to close with is, I believe the Lord wants you to say to yourself in the quietness of your own heart, I am your treasured possession. So if you're a true child of God, if you've repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus, I just want to take a moment, say that to the Lord, and let it sink into your own soul how loved you are by God. You are His treasured possession, church. It's a delight for me to be able to say that to you. It's not just some happy thought coming off of CBN or it's in the Word of God and it's meant to just refresh and strengthen you this morning in the midst of the battle that you're waging. You have a God who loves you. and He guards His special treasure. He guards you. He's going to keep you. Just as He's chosen you, He's going to keep you. What a glorious, awesome God we have. Amen. Aren't you so thankful to have Him in your life? I know I am. Thank you, Lord. Well, at this time, we're gonna, um, we're gonna break and we're gonna go and get our children, those who are members, come on back in in a few moments. About five minutes, we're gonna have our members meeting, which will be brief. And so we'll reconvene shortly. So hurry, hurry back and hurry back to us. So thank you.